The Tablet Show, Episode 62, with guest Sean Wildermuth. Recorded live Monday, November 26th, 2012. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard talk to Sean Wildermuth about his experiences with PhoneGap. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, Phoenix! It's The Tablet Show! Rising from the ashes. It's, it's warm here. It is warm here. It was cold back home, but it's warm here. And you know what they say, it's a dry heat. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you guys heard that? You probably say, oh, but it's a dry heat. Yeah, but there's a lake out there. It's not supposed to be a lake here. Yeah, what's with bodies of water in Phoenix? How yeah. does that happen? That's strange. I thought it was the, you know, the sewage treatment plant, but there were people actually boating on it, so probably not. Uh, you thought those were boats. I did. Hey, uh, Sean Wildermuth is here. But before we introduce Sean, we have a little business to do. All right. Starts with Better Know Framework. All right, what do you got? Well, I went looking at the Windows 8 samples because there are more added every day. Oh, really? Yep. If you go to dev.windows.com and look in the samples for Windows 8 Metro-style apps, dare mm-hmm. I say. Does it still say Metro-style? Uh, no, they do. Actually, yeah, some of them do. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that name's I, never going away. Yeah. Like we say, I, I think if Microsoft uh, just bought Metro AG and right. turned all their stores into Windows stores... That would have been much better. That would have been the appropriate response. <laughs> I like that answer. Uh, anyway, so I went looking in it. This is a really cool... I, now, I haven't run this, but it looks really cool. Okay. It's, uh, if you go to tinyurl.com slash sbuslottery, as in service bus lottery, service bus WinRT and mobile services integration. So this is a demo that uses a sort of a lottery idea, and it, it basically connects to mobile services, which connects to the service bus which sends a message back to your WinRT app. Cool. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Here's what it says. Service Bus Lottery Samples is a simple application that showcases the Azure messaging WinRT client library and interactions between Azure Mobile Services and Service Bus. The app uses a table in Azure Mobile Services called Prizes. Mm -hmm. Various clients can submit prizes to be distributed. The distribution happens via a Service Bus queue. That load balances the messages across all clients that are currently connected. Messages are sent through the Azure Node.js module from the insert script of the prizes table inside mobile services. The client uses mobile services messaging SDK to start a receiving loop as soon as the app is started. Right. Pretty cool little architecture there. Yeah, you get to see how everything gets exercised together. Yeah, and I love little samples like this. And again, I haven't run it, but mm-hmm. uh, it looks promising and uses Node.js too. Nice. And if you just go to the to the site, they actually show you the code, the Node code and the C sharp code, and it's you know three or four lines of C sharp code. Easy, easy, easy stuff. Love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Gra- this is actually an email from now. Maybe see if you remember this name, Gus Cavalcanti. Do you remember him? 
Gustavo Cavacanti? No. Yeah, Gustavo, or he just called himself Gus. Oh, yes. He uh, met us in 2005 in New York and wanted to create his own user group in right. California. Mm-hmm. And he did. And he and did. it's thriving. And it's I still we thriving. encouraged him. Yes, he says, uh, you don't remember life. me, when clearly, Gus, you're wrong. We do remember you. But you started the Central California.net user group in Fresno, California, and you gave me the idea in person to the .net rocks road trip in 2005 in New York City. The user group's still going strong. Awesome. And I am still a loyal follower of Don and Rock's Run As Radio and The Tablet Show. Uh, here's his comment. Uh, for a long time, I have been in this analysis paralysis, searching for the most innovative mobile app idea to develop and never did anything. After I heard Atlee Hunter on the road trip show uh-huh. talking about his 150 plus mobile apps, I really thought I should stop thinking and start building. Yeah, that was an inspirational show. It reminded me that the app for mobile devices, especially phones, are good when they are super focused and do not distract the user, and therefore, the problems to be solved are not too complicated. Right. To me, listening to him was pretty much like when you guys told me in New York, go start your own user group, and I did. I am on target to publish my first WinPhone 7 app in a week or two. Awesome. And this email's from about three weeks ago, so I hope it's out there by now, Gus. Uh, thanks for everything you've done. Gus Cavalcanti, and the site is sharpzen.com. Awesome. Great to hear from you, Gus. Uh, yes, we do remember you, and thanks so much for your email. A coveted tablet show mug is on its way to you. I think what happened there is in New York in 2005, he said, you know, um, I have to travel this you know, far north to get to this user group, and I don't know, there's not so many people there, and I have to travel south so far to get to this other one, and I'm, you know, trying to, there's just like nothing going on in my community. So we said, well, start one. <laughs> and he apparently <laughs> And did. he did. It, it's easy to have the ideas. Yeah. Then the action is the hard part. Yep. Very cool. What else? Oh, yeah, so a mug's on its way to you, Gus, and if you'd like a mug, just write a comment on the website at thetabletshow.com. And with that, let me introduce our guest, Sean Wildermuth. Sean uh, has been in the development community ever since .NET 1.0, I think. Uh, he's been around uh, doing lots of stuff, a lot of visual things, a lot of WCF, a lot of WPF, a lot of Silverlight, and now a lot of Windows 8 and Metro and all that stuff, mobile devices. Sean, welcome to the Tablet Show. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. So... You've taken on PhoneGap. Um, sort of. Yeah? I'm doing a lot of web stuff. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you know, I'm spending a lot more time running, writing JavaScript than I am .NET. I'm still using .NET backends, but backends are easy to write. Yeah. They're not easy to keep up, but they're easy to write. <laughs> they're easy to write the first time. Um, so, PhoneGap was a natural uh, uh, kind of extension of that. Uh, I had a little project where uh, I was... I built a, um, an OData app for uh, the OData team at Microsoft, and they wanted uh, some videos to show how to work on a bunch of different platforms. Mm-hmm. And so back then, I got a, a Mac Air, I built a Objective-C uh, client for it, and decided I would never, ever do that again. Um, <laughs> painful. Painful. Huh? Very painful. Um, and same with uh, Eclipse. Eclipse was a lot better than uh, my experience with, uh, with Android. Now, have you done C++ development? Yeah, I so, I go way back to 
So um, pain level C++ versus Objective-C from your perspective? Worse. Objective-C is worse than C++ because in C++ you did have this kind of I change something in one place, I have to go back and change in the header. I, yeah. I add a method or a function in the in the CPP file, I'd have to go change it in that .h file. Yeah. And in Objective-C that's true, but you also then have to go uh, change it in all these little attributes as well. Got it. So, so it's difficult to compose things. And the, the the tooling is just awful. Yeah. Um, I'm told Xcode 4 is better. Mm-hmm. Told, oh, yeah. But yeah. I think it's still awful. <laughs> Did <laughs> I say it, that loud? I mean, you're, you're exercising going around to all these different platforms. So you've done your time in Xcode. You, you obviously know Studio. And you've done some time in Eclipse. Yeah, and I, I don't want to oversell how much time I've spent in Xcode. Because okay. I have, I kind of, I got into it kind of ankle deep and and felt my ankles being cut off and, and this stepped out of the what water. version right? when? Xcode 3, maybe three years ago. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got to admit, I've seen the newer stuff, and it's much better. Oh, good. It's more like Visual Studio, at least in the designer is, you know. Well, that's good. The code is still painful. <laughs> <laughs> but you know Indeed. your way around web development already. Yeah. I, I mean, before .NET, I was a ASP guy, and mm-hmm. I was building components for, for uh, ASP developers, and, you know, I, this is, I think, my 28th year, my 27th year in development. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, we only had 22 characters across when I started. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure one of your readers will go, oh, I had that machine. Yeah. <laughs> what was that, the Timex Sinclair? No, VIC-20. Oh, the VIC. Wow. They no. couldn't call it the VIC-22, which is, I think is what they wanted to call it right. because of the characters. Um, Welcome to three old guys. <laughs> nice. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, get off my processor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 6502 was good enough for me. It's good enough for you. Yeah, if you really want to geek out, we can talk about how I could actually read 300 baud. Yeah. You know, and text is scrolling at 300 baud. You could actually read it. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I wasn't liking 2400 baud because it was too fast. Too fast. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Update a whole screen. Um, yeah, so I kind of came back into the, the web world as, as uh, Silverlight did what Silverlight did. Yeah, and what, what, what did Silverlight do exactly? Um, I, I recently wrote a blog post about uh, how Sanofsky didn't kill Silverlight mm. because I think a lot of the Silverlight guys who have been hanging on for dear life onto Silverlight or are on projects that are sort of mature and sort of the enterprisey version right. of Silverlight are still there want to blame Sanofsky, but it's really you know if anyone killed it was Jobs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and, the death of the plugin. Yeah, the death right. of the plugin and with cause. The- Plugins have caused a lot of grief. They have. Yeah. They they have. Nothing, nothing, nothing wrong with Silverlight. It's just the plugins as a whole are a problem. And the problems that Silverlight was solving, the community solved after Silverlight's inception. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I taught Silverlight 1.0 on campus before it had a, had a name. Right. Yeah. It was still WPFE. WPFE. That's right. And um, it was XAML plus JavaScript. Yeah. Right. Which is kind of what I hoped WinJS would be. But uh <laughs> could pull out all those old slides. We used to call Silverlight one a glorified animated GIF player. Essentially. I mean, m- most of the early adopters were all about media because media yeah. was really hard back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the a lot of things have made it better. You know, a lot of people are, uh, love the media tag, but still most media is delivered through Flash. That's why... Still. Still. Well, be- because if you want ads and you want DRM... Yeah. Gotta have a plugin. Okay, yeah. so we I, I sort of call jokingly call Silverlight the next Windows Forms, you know, because <laughs> it really has you know we we 
originally, you know, we wanted it to have all these features that Windows Forms did on Windows, and then, of course, run on the Mac, too. But now it's just a great way to deliver enterprise apps. Absolutely. If you're in control still. of the whole system, it's still, a, a, you know, a great solution. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I still, I still have clients that are using it daily. So moving forward, what is your, do you have a preferred architecture stack for uh, Windows Store apps? Or do you, is there any, it depends in there? Depends a lot. You know, I, I've played with the Azure mobile services and for the, so for the guy on the weekend building a Windows um, 8 app, mm-hmm. that's a great solution because you don't really have to think about the back end, it just works. But do you think that it's... I think it's for those guys. For those guys. Yeah. I don't think it's for the... You don't get enough control, mature. in other words. No, uh, and... Uh, the the kind of table storage that's backing it. Um, there's not a lot of tooling support for. Uh, it's really made for. I'm going to have an empty database when I launch this, and it's going to fill up with data. Right. Filling in your own data. There's some hacks around it that are interesting, but but that's not who it's for. They would just use SQL. SQL Azure. Azure. Yeah. So is this the access of mobile apps then? In some ways, but it's in some ways it is the access database engine, right? Yeah. It is. It's backed by SQL Azure. It's just they built this sort of clever tooling on top where you don't have to really think about it. Right. Build a table, design it, and then there's an API for just put it, pushing and pulling data uh, yeah. all through JSON. So it, it eases that transition of someone not wanting to build the web API or the Azimex version of the web service. I've been messing around with web, web API um, just recently and finding the, that uh, it's not too difficult. You know, the, the routing is per, probably perhaps the thing that throws people the most. Sure. Um, I think people, once they learn how to develop a good um, web API, not web API in the okay. capital case, yeah. but, you know, the, when you develop something that's REST-based, there is a, a pattern to it. And once you get that pattern, the web API stuff yeah. uh, from uh, Gunblock and those guys is a natural fit for it. But sure. if you try to take what you did in the Asmix world and then kind of yeah. apply it, it feels like you're you're turning all the wrong screws because yep. you are. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to disagree with you there, but just tell us what the difference is. Like, what is that bit that flips in your head that makes this make sense? Resources. So the idea that I'm not... Um, you know, when you look at something like Asmix, and most people that use WCF tend to do the same thing. They're, mm-hmm. they're not thinking about... Entities or objects or resources, they're thinking about method calls. They're talking right, about, yes. they think it's RPC, even yep, right. though the, the mantra well, was well, never RPC. But that's the origins. Of right? course. I mean, if you, you follow that chain, mm-hmm. SOAP was just RPC with it XML was. and it, then it, you know, morphed into, it morphed into ASMX and morphed into, uh, absolutely all the way up to, stat, to WCF. Yeah. And WCF kind of tried to promote this idea of documents instead of, RPC, but mm-hmm. I don't know how how much it took off, honestly. Yeah. Well, the bottom line is they never, because Microsoft never takes anything away. Right. You can continue your bad habits. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I think that's one of the strengths of the Wave APIs. You bring your bad habits, and it's a problem. It is. It, it is. It should be a problem. Well, there are also a lot of decisions to make. I mean, whether you expose different methods for, you know, lookups or whatever, or you just expose a no data endpoint. Right. Or expose... Uh, you know, different ways of shaping that data that may or may not be OData. OData is a great way to do it, but if for some reason you don't want to do that, you want to kind of limit that scope. The way I develop a a web API is I, I, it's one of the 
few things I still do on paper hmm. is I sit there and I just start talking slashes and names, slashes and names yeah. to try to find all the use cases that I need. I'm not going to build more than I need. I so you really ra- you that. work through the routing stack first. Yeah. Once you can see all yeah. those routes, then you're happy. Right, because you're invariably invari- you're going to run into those cases where what if I want to get one of those and I've not really applied right, there? Right. Yeah. What if I want to get the nested version? What if I want to get the invoices for a customer? Mm-hmm. And I haven't really applied a way to do that. Do I want customers where I uh, invoice is where I supply a customer name, or do I want to have an endpoint off of customers that gives that customer's invoices? Right, right sure. So those sorts of decisions. Just thinking through all those back-end choices. Yeah. And it, it's going to bite you later if you don't. It will. Yeah. Or you'll have two, which is which is what invariably happens. Yeah. So yeah. You have two code paths, and oh. you don't realize you do. How many, so that's how many what web service stacks have we seen like <laughs> this, right? Everyone, all right? Of them. They're, they're, yeah. they're all the same. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. I always end up refactoring it. Anyway, uh, somewhere down the road, the road, just because you didn't anticipate uh, a need up front. Absolutely. You know, I'm what I'm trying to do is avoid the having endpoints called get top, get yeah. all, yeah. right? And right. that's sort of the uh, the anti web API philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It was interesting. I recently did a startup Saturday where we built a mobile app and a uh, and a website. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guys that were doing the back end were doing Java. And I, I kind of went there with the attitude of, I'm just going to be a cog. I don't, I'm not coming with an idea. I just want to contribute and kind of see what this whole process yeah. is. How do you build a complete app in 48 hours? Right. And, 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 and you're not going to run it. You just want to be a contributor. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to come in, see, you know, how my skills, you know, have, have my skills deteriorated when uh, I spend a lot of my time writing reviews and coaching and teaching. teaching yeah. Can I still write code in that kind of fast-paced sure. that I could? And it was a lot of fun, but being able to step back as a Microsoft guy and go, hey, um, why are you guys taking two days to build before I get the first data from the server? Whereas in my mind, I'm like, the, the Saturday night I thought about and I decided against it to just write it. I was just going to write the whole back end and, and throw it in Azure just yeah. in case they didn't get done. <laughs> right? it, was, it was... You could have. I could have because, you know, we we're talking about three pieces of data. It wasn't... Yeah, right. It wasn't amazing. And so uh, I've, I've, I came back from that feeling spoiled from, uh, from our ecosystem. Yeah. I've had that experience a few times where it turns out our tools are pretty good. Yeah. As much as we want to complain. Yeah, we do complain. Uh, and their tools don't have all caps, and I'm told that's the biggest problem with our tooling <laughs> is the all caps in the menu. Gray right? scaling. And gray scaling, yeah. <laughs> so are you a JSON guy, or are you you're sticking in the XML world, or no, does mo- it matter? Most of the APIs are JSON, but uh, I will do whatever is the right, right choice. You know, the fact is most of the clients I'm building have have to, at some point, be consumable by um JavaScript, so JSON is the natural choice. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't... Uh, All depends on what's consuming it, so... Well, in, in a lot of ways, I'm not dogmatic about it. I, mean, I try not to be dogmatic but if you're about writing, anything. But if you're writing the whole stack yourself... JSON. JSON, yeah. yeah. Just because it's really easy to consume. Yeah. And it's really easy to consume in .NET code, too. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, ha- after dealing with sort of uh, uh, the dynamic typeness of JavaScript, doing something like the JSON.NET, not building yeah. proxy classes at all, but just using all the dynamic support, why, which is why would you into, ever do it? Which is now built into MVC. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a great choice for them. Great to, choice. Them deciding to drop their own JSON stack and just take the community one. I, I thought I'd never lived to see something like that happen you at Microsoft. I've done that a few times lately. Yeah. It's not your grandfather's Microsoft. Well, I, got a, I got around a problem using JSON.net that uh, 
Well, any class that is implementing iprop uh, notify property change wouldn't serialize with the built-in stuff. Right. And maybe there was a setting somewhere, but I just went out on a forum and somebody said, eh, json.net. Yep. And it just worked. Yeah. And now that, uh, even in the XAML stack, it's interesting. And when, Win8, the XAML stack for, uh, uh, Win8 consumes more types than Silverlight does, like anonymous types. Yeah. So hmm. if you're consuming JSON, you don't have to ma make the whole iNotify property change wrappers you're used to, even with the XAML. You use JSON.net and it binds. Yeah. Everyone's happy. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems, all of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the tablet show. You know, I'm really hung up on this whole idea of the the whole SOAP, RPC, that whole chain. It's like how much of that goes all the way back to our tendency to do entity relationship? Like, is it mm. the decomposition of data to this day that, you know, got we got affected with the relational database that is shaping all this behavior all along? Because that's the big distinction there. Exactly what you're describing with JSON and exactly what you're describing with, you know, handling documents properly. Is stop decomposing stuff just because. We had these conversations in COM, right? When yeah. I was writing components for a classic ASP, not ASP.net, but classic ASP, it was... You know, how, how chatty should this thing be? Right. right? Yeah. Is it? We talked about marshalling. We, right. We're having to deal with, you know, do we get it on a recall? Do we get the whole thing and hand them back as a pre-built object? How far down the stack? It's the same problem mm -hmm. for the last 20 years. Yeah. It, it, it it's amazing. Um, you know, ORMs have kind of gotten to that point where it makes it so easy, but it also complicates yes. an awful lot. Uh, Entity Framework does a lot of this really cool stuff. But remembering to turn stuff off so that serialization over the wire works the way you expect it to yeah. still baffles me that that's turned on by default. La lazy loading being and <laughs> proxies being the well, this because the, the anti Hibernate mafia demanded it. I know. I was at the. I was at that <laughs> you meeting. You were at that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Quietly, not trying. You know, yeah. I don't want to get caught in the crossfire. Yeah. You do not want to be in front of Oranini when he's banging on a table. <laughs> he wasn't the big problem there. No, no. <clears throat> we won't mention his name. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so it's been interesting. I've been doing a lot of, you know, my company's been building a couple products on their own of their own mm -hmm. accord as well as doing client work. And we've been doing so much sort of web plus mobile development. Mm -hmm. You know, these small, smallish projects. So you always have a regular web browser type client. Yeah. As well as what comes on the phone. Almost always. Okay. Almost always. And are you doing the responsive design type thing? A lot. Yeah. A lot. I'm doing a lot of talking about that as well. Mm -hmm. Because it just makes sense. And what's interesting in Windows 8, 
JavaScript, that's the same way they do the um, Visual State Manager. Oh, really? Because right, the Visual State Manager in the XAML says, if the screen looks like this, go into this state. And right. the responsive design says, if the screen looks like this, use these this rules This style sheet, yeah. Yeah. It's not exactly the same, but it's similar enough. It's, that a, it's the same concept. So you basically are outlining this idea of, I mean, in Win8, it would be on my whole screen, and my one-third, and my two-thirds. Right. Whereas in this case, I just care about how wide the screen is. Right. And that sort of naturally takes care of um, portrait versus landscape mm -hmm. and uh, pinned or not pinned or whatever. I forget what it's called in Win8. The rest of that just falls out. Yeah. And what, what's... I was recently teaching a JavaScript course for .NET guys, actually ex-Silverlight guys. And what was interesting is when I talked about responsive... I kept on saying Visual State Manager accidentally. When I <laughs> talked about data binding, I kept on saying XAML instead of HTML. Because the concepts of MVVM, data binding, dealing with states, all of that, now you can do on the web pretty easily. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have a designer that can cut up Photoshop into HTML to get something that looks pretty good. I mean, the app that I showed here, I built in about an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah, including the back end, but the back end was pretty simple. I feel like we're almost at the point where this is a template. Yeah. Right? I mean, we know there are certain... I mean, I'm hung on the responsive web design sure. thing here. There's like five sizes you care about. Yep. Right? The small iPhone size, mm -hmm. small tablet size, big tablet size, big. Actually, there's a sixth one. Oh, yeah? Really big. Really big. Yeah. <laughs> Which is retina. Right. Well, the high, the high res. The high, yeah, the yeah. really high res where you're, yeah. you're doing some interesting things with actually swapping out what images you're using. Well, because it's not well. just about number of pixels now. It's, it's also about DPI. DPI. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and uh, we, uh, we got a, I got an email from somebody who said your, um, your, your logo image is all fuzzy. And here, I gave you another one. And I looked at it on my tablet. I looked at the original, and I looked at his, and I couldn't see any difference right. whatsoever. Because your tablet wasn't... Uh, no, uh, right. uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and there's a big discussion about how to do that well. Right now, it's a little ad hoc, but I think there's some things yeah. coming down the... the, the high, yeah, high TPI is here to stay. Absolutely. So we've got to start adopting this one way yeah. or the other. Yeah, I mean, projectors that do 19 by 12? Yeah, and yeah. we got wow. one here today. Yeah, I and saw that. It's so high, I actually turned down the resolution <laughs> on the machine because it's like, well, this is just too small to read. Right? Yeah, and, and op tools never have the ability to, to turn up fonts. We want more information, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> Who would think of that? Probably, would I would, make it bigger? I, I was showing, because I was showing uh, yeah, System Center Operations yeah. Manager, and there's no way to dial that thing up. Nope. And there's a lot to dial up. There's lots of little text. You've got to zoom around to let people see that. So this is something that I, I get a lot, you know, we've been talking about on the roadshow, is, you know, how to take those apps, you know, take a SCOM or any management console app, like the management console. Could you see that as a Windows Store app? And how would that look? You know, these, these are the thought exercises I like to give. And each and every one of you, take the, the app that, the big app from work, right? The big one. The monolith, yeah. How would you, and you know, the answer starts with decompose it into lots of little, smaller, more specific apps that can share information with each other. But start with, okay, what gets chiseled off? You know, where do we draw those boundaries? And well, where, this is uh, interesting stuff. We we did this already. Remember when we went from MDI to <laughs> uh, tree to Explorer type, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Outlook. Everyone wants their app to look like Outlook, and right. now everyone wants it to look like Metro. Right. I mean, th these but these big not changes. Just Metro are, look. It's the design guide that even the iPhone started, which is simple task based screens. Right. Sure. 
Yeah. Sure. I mean, what, one of the things that uh, I think a lot of this changes, and I, I like the way Windows 8 does this particularly well, is give me functionality, but I don't care about it being on the screen. The whole yeah. idea of search and share and all of that being yep. contextual to what's on the screen instead of it having to be a magic button I click. Right. That, yeah. That's a tremendous idea. Huge. Huge. Yeah. It, the problem is it's such a good idea. I still struggle with this. Mm -hmm. Calling up search and realizing the search is contextual. Yeah. Yeah. You did, you, I, I you did have it tonight. To, you know, we don't believe. Like, I'm scrolling yeah. through lo looking for an app and somebody's like, uh, search. Why don't you just search for that? <laughs> and, I'm and I was just showing search. Yeah. It's you forget. Rob Connery was trying to use Win8 on, and he was complaining on Twitter that, well, you can't even search for apps. Yeah. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> Which is fun because yeah, we were funny. able to say, well, yeah, just you search can. for them. Yeah, yeah. You, the store actually supports. You don't need apps. to think about it. Just yeah. do it. It's a, it's a. I think it's a big shift, and uh, I think we're going to see a lot of this show up on the other tablets as well. I mean, I, I have, I don't have an iP iPad mm -hmm. for, because Apple didn't have a um, lowercase when I was a kid. Um, <laughs> the one guy that told me enough to remember that. Um, but I do have a Nexus 7. One of my very first jobs was putting lowercase kits into TRS-80s. Like, I think I was 12. <laughs> we, I just remember them yelling on all the message boards. Yeah, so. yeah that's right. Yeah. Oh, you must be an Apple guy. It's I all in uppercase. to this day that yeah. still post their Facebook messages yeah, in all, all uppercase. And you tell them, please stop yelling. Yeah. And they think you're like some nerd who doesn't get real people. Yeah, so he really knows fun. you well. <laughs> So, sorry? so he knows you well. Uh, yeah, he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I'm impressed. You know, I, I had an original Droid phone, which I loved and hated. Um, and so when I got the Nexus 7, I was really happy that they had stolen a bunch of ideas from WinPhone mm. to make the OS actually work. You know, a back button that actually went back and remembering uh, different apps that were running instead of keeping them all in the background. Right. Um, so I think there's some ubiquity that's actually happening. Um, we're getting some of the stuff that's going to start. I think the the pinning or the two apps side by side on a tablet is going to force them to do something because that's that's yeah. huge. Yeah. When you show anybody that feature on a on a surface, they they go nuts. They go nuts. Even the even all the college kids that swear by Apple near where I work every day mm -hmm. in the coffee shop. Now they want services because of that one feature. That's the feature. Yeah. So the Surface has been out now, what, a month? Yeah. Yep. And uh, I got to say, it passed the step, the 16-year-old stepdaughter test. Wow. She's very, very picky about her technology and does not like hip things. And, you know, she thought this was the coolest thing ever, hmm. the, the Surface RT. Well, when I, I don't I, know if she just wanted one for Christmas so she could sell it on eBay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but she told me why she thought it was really good and all the reasons. Oh, wow. Yeah. It wasn't just the, that the thing made no, a clicking no, it sound? No, the usability. Like oh, that's she awesome. got it. She didn't have to think about how to use it. It just came naturally to her. That's yeah. amazing. The, uh, when I went to build, I had pre-ordered a Surface so I could test with it. Yeah. Not what you say when you want you get someone to approve a purchase. Right. I need it for I need testing. To test. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when my girlfriend found out that I was getting one, she was like, well, you know who's getting that right. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> and she loves it. She, uses, yeah. she doesn't use her laptop anymore. I mean, it's really become for her her main computer away from work. Hmm. My 10-year-old daughter loves it, too. Yeah. She, you know, they, the kids just love this stuff. Yeah. The me. kids. I think it's Damn one kids. 30 who has a hard time with it because there's a lot of um, unlearning that we have to do. Yeah, the learning the gestures. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, there have been some videos out there that have tried to just go, this is the way you do this. Yeah. And once you minutes, get it. you've done. I'm still dragging down on my wind phone trying to close an app. (laughs) (laughs) That to me is the greatest gesture in all of Windows 8. Yeah, it's awesome. Go away now. Yeah. You know that one? Close an app just by dragging from top to bottom. Done. Closed. Done. Brilliant. You know, if you have a keyboard, you can also still press Alt F4. I'm aware of that. It still does work. I'm aware of that. Yeah. (laughs) Too funny. Yeah, I, I'm, I've been using Win 8 almost completely keyboard-centric. Yeah. Not touching, not mousing. It's a great keyboard, keyboard operating system. Yeah. the What I really liked when I first got it, because a lot of people were suspicious of this, was all I was a keyboard start menu guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Control, escape, just type and press yeah. enter for the app, just like you showed at Win 8. Yeah. Works in Win 7. Not a lot of people, I guess, used it because it, the the experience is exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. Yeah. And so when I, I opened up, the as soon as it installed, and by muscle memory, I went control, escape, PowerPoint, enter, without thinking, because that's what I've been doing for years, yeah. and PowerPoint showed up. And you're like, and then you start like, wait, I did that wrong. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, the only difference now is you can just press the Windows key. So right. you can save right. yourself a keystroke. That's true. Right. Although I know you, I know that reflex. It that, is. That le- the left hand, thumb, finger, click, click. You do it so fast, you didn't even realize you did it. Yeah, it's just there. Yeah. Everything, I mean, I can't use Lenovo's or Apple's because they move the control key, because everything's the control key to me. (laughs) (laughs) The Windows key, you have to move your hand. What are you doing? How much time are you wasting? Rocky Latka (laughs) posted today his uh, first impressions, you know, after using RT for a month. And his biggest complaint is Outlook's not there. Everything, you know, and that's his only complaint, really. He loves it otherwise. You know, the male client sucks. Everybody knows that. But yeah. but also, um, I, and I can't remember if it was the same guy, but maybe it was another RD who posted another blog post that said, you know, the stuff that he doesn't like, he knows the teams and he knows the people on the teams and they're, they're actually really smart people. So better apps are coming. Dave Ward, I think today or I yesterday, it. Yes, a Dave great Ward. review of it, but plus and minus. And he's a very web, he owns an iPhone, owns yeah. all the other tablets. I mean, he's been through it. He's not a Microsoft right. uh, purist like some of us. Um, and he, he doesn't use his iPad anymore. My favorite part of his review was he said, I was worried about the battery life on it because yeah. I kept on running on a battery. And then I realized I was using the Surface much more than I ever used my iPad. So huh. it was a perceptive difference that I was actually using the Surface for hours at a time instead of minutes at a time. It's, yeah, it's funny. Ro- Rocky also said that he the, when the iPad came out, it was the same store experience. There weren't any apps in the store. Absolutely. On version one of the iPad, it was pretty much Netflix and... You know, and giant phone apps. Giant <laughs> wind phone apps. Yeah, iPhone apps. Yeah. That's just really fun. Yeah. So what are you doing? Are you building tablet apps? I know you're yeah. building phone apps. So no. just Surface or iPad? Like, what are you building? We're building, uh, the ones we're building, we're building cross iOS, Android, uh, and Windows Phone and Windows 8. Okay. So all, all of them. And primarily with PhoneGap because the, the depth of the applications isn't all that deep. Right? So you use PhoneGap for tablet apps as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, because the, the sort of things we're building are I want to be able to search through some back-end database that, we, that the customer's taken four years to build. Mm-hmm. We need a front end. Well, all you need is data binding and a search bar, right? Well, I, building that once and having it across the different devices becomes easy. What about the deployment story? You put them in the store. 
Okay, so you're just running phone, at, but you got to run phone gap for each build. Like, is it is it literally one code base, multiple deploys, or do you actually end up with a different build for each device? You end up with a different build, but we're using build.phonegap.com, which is an Adobe property. Right. Where we have it connected up to a, Git, a private GitHub repo- repository. Okay. So every time we do a check-in, they build the iOS, the Android, the WebOS, the Badu, the WinPhone 8 app for us. Get a lot of Badu customers. I don't. But they build it. <laughs> they do it. They don't actually have a way to no. turn them off. Oh, I see. So you're you going to get all a, eight. You're going to get Badu and you're going to like it. Yeah, you can get Sibian, you're going to get Blackberry. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it builds all, actually all seven platforms. And is, it, and is it building from the one GitHub project? Yep. So is there if Blackberry code in there or anything? Not, not in ours because okay. we don't need it. Okay. So what PhoneGap does is not only gives you sort of this host environment, but gives you a JavaScript API that surrounds it that gives you um, phone-specific ap- uh, access. So okay. I can look at is contacts. It, I can take video or or Isn't uh, it feature-based, though? If the video camera is there, then do this. You don't have to say if it's this phone. No, I never have to ask no. this. You, this you ask for features. I do. Yeah. Okay. I do. And uh, those features turn into the, you know, the rights on the Android. Right. So mm-hmm. I need the camera. I need geolocation. Yeah. Right. Those sorts of things. But at the same time, if you have a device that doesn't have that support, it'll still work. Yeah, it'll still work. It'll just skip it. Right. Because it, literally we go, you know, if 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 camera, then, do the camera stuff. Yeah. Otherwise, Don't. you know. Now, but did you take a same. look at the Xamarin products before you went the PhoneGap route? A tiny bit, but not enough. Um, the, the, so I was talking, uh, I talked to Wally McClure about this quite a bit because he's big into the mono space. Sure. Yeah. Um, and the being able to build once and deploy into different platforms isn't as easy as it is with PhoneGap because what they've done smartly mm-hmm. is they say you can build your apps with C Sharp, but we're going after the native API. So yeah. you have a full breadth of the API. Right. And, and you, you do have to speak the native API for the UI pieces. Which is a really smart choice when you're building it that way. What it does is it makes me not have to learn Objective-C or Java. Mm-hmm. Sure. I can just do C Sharp. Our apps tend to be simpler. So to me, PhoneGap is great for V1. And if I need native V2 using Mono or, or the native tools or V3 or whenever it becomes important enough or we know it's a product. Right. You know, a lot of the guys I'm dealing with are more in the startup space. They're trying to do the minimum viable product. Right. right. So spending yeah, a lot of only, money. If the complaint your customer has is that the app is not fast enough or rich enough, that's a good complaint. Right. You can fix that. Right. Yeah. If nobody's using it, then all the money you spent building it natively is kind of a waste. Right, especially building it natively multiple times. Right. That's where that's where it gets expensive. If you want to just say iPhone like Instagram does, it's probably not that much more deal. expensive to build it, but right? Because you can get an iOS guy, have him build it, and it'll cost whatever it costs. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make sure you're getting the full breadth of users, and that's why consumers are important story here. For enterprise, it may or may not be important. It depends on what you need to expose. Well, Android's the one that frightens me because I talk to these Android guys who talk about the drawer of broken dreams, right? It's like, I got it to work on this Android device, then I went to the drawer of broken dreams and it didn't work on this Android device. Absolutely. I got it to work for those two, and then I had to go back to the drawer of broken dreams and it didn't work on the next Android device. And that's still true somewhat with, with PhoneGap in that the browser on the device makes a lot of difference. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So sure. when I submit the Android, I usually um, say two, three 
minimum. I won't deal with the older devices because right. the, the, the browser on the original, you know, 1.6 and 2.0 and even 2.1s were so bad because PhoneGap is still using a browser. Right, right. That, um, so you are setting a minimum thing. threshold on Android, but you have absolute confidence that that and above it's going to work. Yeah. And, you know, all Droid users f- regularly flash their phones and get the latest and greatest stuff, so don't they? Yeah, because I mean, the, the thing with Android, it's like all, if you're not like reinstalling your operating system once a week, you're just like not a true Android user. Well, sort of. And since the operators just love to push new versions of Android out to their <laughs> users, yeah, you call them operators, not carriers. Uh, carriers, whichever. Evil I, buggers. Yeah, they're more like you know disease carriers. Disease carriers. I like. So I like carrier. <laughs> Let's stay with carrier then. The carriers <laughs> of the plague. Yeah, we were talking with uh, some of the guys earlier and how some of the colors of the 920 are limited. I'm sorry, of the 820 are limited by the carrier. Like right. T-Mobile has the pink phones. Yeah, and they got all the. Well, in Canada, there are no 820s. There's only a 920, and you can have any color you want as long as it's black. <laughs> it's sad. My my wife's got a black 920, and she should have a red one. But if you had a white one, you would just lose it in the snow. Yeah, well, <laughs> some of the snow's yellow, but you know, they make a yellow one too. That sounds more like your problem than ours. So I've looked at PhoneGap from the context of phones. What's different when you're in a tablet? Not a lot, honestly, no. um, because you have the same problems of orientation, mm-hmm. but most of it's just taken care of by the, the browser with. So what what happened is a lot of people use PhoneGap to build jQuery mobile or Kendo mobile apps, right. which are really built for phones. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I didn't build this using that. Mm-hmm. Um, is because they look awful on those big screens. Right. So what you do is you build natural HTML5 sort of UIs and make the version that when it's small on a phone, it looks good, like I showed here. And then when it's larger, it takes that real estate. Okay, but so, that means you're still making one version that runs on absolutely. the phone and on the tablet. You're not making a tablet version and a phone version. So exactly. can you actually get it down to where just a different CSS file is all you need? Yeah, in fact, the CSS file, what I did in this case was I'm using a Twitter bootstrap, which is a JavaScript CSS, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it has built-in styles for those different size devices okay. already in it. And so some of the work was for the pieces I cared about. I was adding some specific uh, queries in the responsive stuff for the phone size, you know, maybe changing yeah. the size from the edge or something. But they're doing things like where, where I might display three or four across on a regular tablet when I got on a phone, I just get rid of all the floats so everything's top yeah. to bottom, you know, those sorts of natural things that everyone's seen now. Sure. And can you handle orientation changes on the tablet as you, well? You can, but it just cares about width. Yeah. So it doesn't care that you can have oh, orientation. Sure. The phone gap actually will tell you that, but it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I've Just never had to go, oh, am I landscape? Because no, pretty much are you wider or are you narrower? Right. Because pretty much everything scrolls down. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is a challenge of Windows 8 because typically things scroll horizontally. In it's just, uh, you could just replace the CSS though. Yeah. Or drop in, you know, there's a couple of libraries that will do right scrolling instead of top down scrolling. Yeah. Hmm. It's not, I mean. Because you don't think about phone gap for Win 8. Think, well, well, it's we so new, anyway. right? So new that no one would. If you're just building a Win Eight app, you don't need PhoneGap, right? But if you're building an app that you want to run on multiple devices, including Win Eight, PhoneGap's the natural solution. And there is a Win Eight version of PhoneGap. Yeah, and I showed it here. Yeah, when you guys weren't looking at the talk. <laughs> I paid attention. <laughs> I was just making sure the listener knew. I know. Well, Sean, what's next for you? Are you going to be traveling 
to another country and speaking somewhere soon? In fact, I am. <laughs> Where is that? <laughs> On the 3rd, I will be at the SDC Plus, I think it's called, oh. in Amsterdam, actually in... Uh, um, in Remy another Caron. town, yeah. Remy and the Remy. crew are running the the conference in Holland, and so nice. anyone asks me to go to Holland, I say yes. Yeah, of course. It's just the rule. Yeah, just yeah. the rule. So I'll be there on the third, and then home for uh, the holidays. Yeah. Trying to finish up a my my Windows Phone eight book, yeah. which uh, it's one chapter left, and uh, we should be to print hopefully in January. Nice. Awesome, Sean. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks, guys. Sean Wildermuth, ladies and gentlemen, give him a hand. We'll see you next time on the Tablet Show! See you